of the feeding of the 5,000. It is John 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed Him because they saw His signs which He performed on those who were diseased or sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up His eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward Him, He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of food of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there wasn't grass in that place, much grass. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen this sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, your word is true. May we embrace the truth we hear and see in this and find as you bless us today. Thank you for it. Amen. You may be seated. I love this passage. There's so many different sermons preached on it. One of the best sermons I ever heard, I'm not going to go this direction today, was about the five fish, uh, excuse me, the five loaves and the two fish and how God can take our little and make it do a lot. And that's true. God can take our little and make it do a lot. Maybe you've heard that said about this story. Because that was all that was given to Jesus and He took that little and fed over 5,000 people. And that's amazing, right? But, but the story here, in my understanding, is it's about Jesus, not about our little. And it always has been the book of John about the reality of Jesus Christ. And so when I took some fresh eyes and read through this, I saw a lot of different things in here that really help me understand something. And the first thing I want to point out to you is verse 12 where it says, when they were filled, He said to His disciples to gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. The remaining fragments, gather them up. And and I thought, why not just let the people keep those fragments so when they're hungry later, they can eat them? But Jesus said, gather them up. 
And, and, and I thought to myself, there has to be a reason he said that. And there is. There's a very obvious reason. And one of the main reasons he said that was because he came. Jesus said his purpose was this, to seek and to save the lost sheep of Israel. That was his purpose, to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. And so he wanted that which was left over to be gathered up. He doesn't say so that it doesn't go to waste so that we can eat it later. Listen how he says it. So that nothing is lost. If I don't eat all my food on the plate, I don't call it lost food. I call it, I'm full. And I don't say, it's wasted. I might say, it's trash. I don't need it. It's garbage now. Right? But Jesus said, that food on that day, which they were gathering up, would have been lost. Peculiar, right? You don't see that when you read it. You just think, well, you know, just, you know, you know, just leftover. He means leftovers. No, he didn't say leftovers. He said lost. And how many basketfuls did they gather? Twelve. Now, you might think, well, there's twelve disciples. That's significant. No. He came to seek and to save the lost tribes of Israel. And how many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. And he didn't want any to be lost of the tribes of Israel. And so the bread that he's feeding them was to feed the Israel uh, people, the Jews, who are Israelite tribes, who he was feeding. And he gathered up the fragments and he, and he gathered the twelve baskets. And what he said is, don't let anything be lost. Gather them up in baskets. Do you think, just maybe, this is a picture of Jesus at end times? Gathering up the lost and bringing them home. That they might be with Him. Getting ready for the final day. Do you think maybe that's what He's doing? So often Jesus wept over Israel and Jerusalem. Wanting to be there for them. To love them. To care for them and not able to do so. And so, when you look at that statement, never forget that Jesus is pointing to who He is with everything He does. All His actions are consistent with Him as Lord, Son of God, Messiah, Christ, Redeemer, and Savior. Everything He does points to that. So when He says something... He's not saying it arbitrarily. And that's why when you read through Scripture and you hear something, take a moment to say, is that how I would say that? Is that what would make sense to me? I would never tell my kids, alright, when you're done eating, we don't want to let any of this food be lost. Sometimes we throw it to the wild animals or to the birds or to the dog or to the cat or something like that. But we don't say that it would be lost. And so when you read through something, maybe you have to read through it a couple of times to understand what God is saying just to get the Word because we're so used to what we listen to from past tellings of stories. 
And so that's the first thing that came to my mind. And that 12 baskets further confirmed Jesus' messianic status. But I have to wonder, is there something more going on here? Did you know in the book of 2 Kings there was a feeding that was miraculous? In chapter 4. Now if you memorize 2 Kings chapter 4, congratulations, I didn't. I'm flipping to it. But in this passage, at the beginning of the passage, there's a famine. And Elisha goes to this widow and feeds her after she feeds him with the last bit she has and the jar never runs dry. And you think, well, that's, that's a miracle, right? But if you go to the end of that chapter, beginning in verse 42, there is a man who comes from Baal, Shalisha, and brings the man of God bread of the first fruits. He brings him 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. It's famine, so this man has come to bring him food. But his servant said, this is Elisha, Elisha's servant. Now this guy, I love Elisha's servant. He is so, so uh, blindsided. He doesn't understand spiritual things or God or who Elisha is. And he says, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? It's just 20 loaves of bread and, you know, some ripened grain. And uh, the man said, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So it's distributed. And he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. There was a miracle that day. 100 men were fed with 20 loaves. And so maybe Jesus knew that passage, because if you look close, you'll see in verse number 5, that Jesus sees a great multitude says to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that we may eat? And this he's saying to Philip to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, you know, it's like, well, he knew he was going to feed them all. That's what I thought. Every time I read that, we knew he was going to feed them. He knew there was five fish, you know, five loaves and two fish. He knew all this, right? That's, that's my mind because I know the story. But what if I don't know the story? What do I think he knows he's going to do in testing Philip? Well then, if I'm not sure, because I don't know the story, if I've never read it, what did he say to Philip? He said, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And that's a test. And I thought, why is that a test? I don't understand. So I thought, you know, maybe I don't know exactly how... Philip heard what Jesus said, so I thought, I'll look a little deeper. The word buy has two different meanings, two different understandings. The first one is going to market, haggling and purchasing. The second one is to redeem something. To go and make a redemption of something. To take something for something to redeem it. It's, it's a transition or a transaction based on bartering, but more so to redeem it at a cost. And so he says, how are we going to redeem bread that these may eat? And yet, 
There's another question that, before I pull the rest of that out, there's another question that came to my mind. These people follow Jesus, 5,000 men and then plus women and children, along the shores of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and then came up on the mountain where He was to a grassy place, and Jesus sees them, and, and He says to Philip, well, where are we going to get food to feed these guys? Do you ever wonder why Jesus even wanted to? Why was that His responsibility? Where in there does it say that's His job to feed them? Where does it say the disciples got to feed 5,000 people? It's not a regular pattern. Do you understand? This happens twice in the Scriptures. Feeding of 5,000 and feeding of 4,000. No more time. So this isn't a given that every time people get together, all the disciples are going to feed everybody. So why is He expecting them to do it now? You can't do it all the time. Not with the resources apparently that they had. But it wasn't about the resources. It was about Jesus. Jesus had a lesson not for the people because they miss it, but for the disciples and us. There are many, many needs around us. But Jesus is going to call us to specific ones to meet. You understand, we can't meet them all, but we can meet the ones He asks us to. And this one, He engages the people. On the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, long, long discourse through a few chapters there early in the book of Matthew, He doesn't feed them. I mean, He feeds them spiritually, but He doesn't feed them food. He doesn't do it. So why now? Because the time is right for Jesus to begin to establish who He is. This is early on still in His ministry. Yes, He's been doing a lot of healings. A lot of things are happening. But He tests Philip not to see what Philip thought of his own abilities, but of who he thought Jesus was. Who is Jesus? We know. Philip did not. Philip was about to learn who Jesus was. Another aspect of him. And the next story in here, you're going to see yet another characteristic of Jesus' Messiahship. And then right after that, he's going to explain what this which we're in today is all about. You see, Jesus does it like this. He does the miracle and then He provides the lesson. He doesn't do a lesson and then provide the miracle. He does the miracle first and then provides a lesson later as part of the miracle. The feeding of the 5,000 isn't to feed people, okay? It's not about that. They're going to be hungry in a few hours again. So that's not a great miracle. What's a great miracle is is that the fragments left over from the seven pieces of food given. Jesus, as we know, today, is the bread of life. He says that. I am the bread of life. 
We know He's the bread of life. And so He's asking Philip, where are we going to go get food? Where shall Jesus says to him, where shall we get redeemed-able bread? Catching it now? Starting to see this? Where do we get the bread that can be redeemed to feed all these people? There is one source and one loaf of bread, Jesus Christ, that can feed everybody. There is no other way to feed everybody who sits down to eat without Jesus Christ. The whole world can feast on that one loaf. Where are we going to get this bread? He's standing right there. He is the bread. Philip doesn't know this. And so Jesus is trying to get him to say, where are we going to get this bread? Are we going to buy it at the store or is it going to be redeemed? Ah, and Philip goes with the buy, not the redeemed. Isn't that amazing? Given two options, he goes with the practical one rather than the spiritual one because he doesn't get spiritual things yet. And so Philip, of course, says, you know, half a year's wages, not going to be enough worth of bread to take care of all these folks, not even just a little. Now, that statement by Philip is beautiful. Listen to his desperation. You've just entreated us to feed over 5,000 people. And I could work a half a year and I couldn't even feed them all but a little in bread. Do you really expect me to be able to do that? You're asking me to do something I can't do. Do you hear his desperation? You're asking me, I got half a year's wages, I can't do that. Just a little from a half a year, and I've only got maybe a handful of dollars. How am I going to do this? You're asking me to feed these. What are we, where are we going to get this bread? Says Jesus. And Andrew says the same thing. There's a boy here has got five bread and two fish and just a little. A little won't feed much. <laughs> That's what they think, right? But Jesus already knew what He was going to do. One of the things that gives you a clue here is the scenario of this passage. It says in verse 4, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. The Passover ushered in um, the Day of Atonement, the High Holy Days, And on the day that they were to eat the Passover, there was a specific thing they needed to do. They had to make the meal and they had to sacrifice and kill a lamb and eat it. The lamb in the Passover was representative of Jesus Christ because it took the lamb's blood and spread on the doorposts and the lentils at her home so the angel of death would pass over. Now that feast was drawing near. And since that feast was drawing near, Jesus knows who He is as that Passover lamb. He knows that He's the redemption of our sin. 
to get death to pass over us. And so he's probably got that on his mind and he's trying to draw inference of who he is and explain this to the disciples. Then he says, where are we going to get food to feed all these? And they still don't understand about Passover yet. That he is the Paschal Lamb that will be slain on Passover, which of course happens two years from that season. They have no idea about the Paschal Lamb being Jesus yet. They have no idea, but Jesus does. He knows. And so when He is saying, let's redeem bread, that's Passover talk. That's conversation you might have about being redeemed from death. But if you're not thinking about Passover and you're just thinking about the task at hand of feeding 5,000, you're just going to think about buying bread. Many times when we here at our church work to do things, we think, well, just a few of us, we don't know if we have enough, but we always have enough. We always have enough to feed. Always have enough for one more box. God always makes a way. Feeding over 130 Thanksgiving meals this year. We thought, well, we prepared for you know less than that, but but we had enough. God saw to it. Why? Because God is one feeding and calling us to do it. And if we would have said we need 130 meals, we would have panicked. We don't have enough people to cook them all, so we just cooked enough of what we needed. And God said what we needed was enough. It just works that way. God provides. But, but we get so stuck in our mind in this lack mentality when the King of the universe is on our side. He gives us enough that we have fragments left over. Food to take home for ourselves even. That all the house may be fed. We forget that. And Jesus in this story is trying to get us to remember what God can do. Not what you can do, what He can do. And the purpose behind what He does is to seek and to save the lost. And that's us as well. That word, by the way, for buy is agarazzo. Not that you need to know that, but it means to redeem or to buy something. It's to go find the source of the bread. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Philip, where are we going to go find the source of bread to buy some? But Jesus, it's free. You don't need money. Even Isaiah says, Lo, come all who are thirsty, come drink, eat without cost. Isaiah tells us about Jesus that way. So does Philip finally get it? When Jesus feeds all the multitude and all the baskets are gathered up, do you think He finally understands that Jesus is the bread? Probably not. Still thinking about, wow, that was amazing. Look at look what He did. He fed all these people. We had baskets left of them. And He's just talking about the miracle, not about what it represents. That's what we do. We get caught up in what God does rather than the God behind the miracle. The one who's seeking the praise. And there's a reason. 
is we have this lack mentality in our lives. We look at only what we see, what we have, and we think, I don't have very much, or I can only get this much by my own power and by my own strength or resources. And we look at the lack. I only ha- I, here's what we say, I only have this much. Instead of saying, I have this much. And God supplies the rest. God only wants what I got. He doesn't want me to provide what I don't have. He provides that. That's His job. And then comes this question to mind as we go through this story. At the beginning of the story, it says a great multitude followed Him around the Sea of Galilee. Understand, Sea of Galilee is 10 miles across in certain places. So they had gone about 20-25 miles walking around and through hilly areas and rocky areas, possibly some cliffs to avoid to get to where Jesus is in the mountainous area. And listen, this is what's crazy. Over 5,000 people are making the journey. Why? You ever ask yourself, why are they following Him? And, and, and what Scripture says here is because He healed sick. That's why. Because He healed the sick. So they followed Him and probably wanted some healing done. And so when they got there, Jesus did the healing. They got that. They got what they came for. But Jesus fed them. And they got something else. Now if you go for one thing and it's awesome, and then he adds something else to it, you're going, man, this guy's amazing. He's incredible. He is the one I want to follow. And if you have 5,000 men saying, this is the man that I want to follow, and the families go, yeah, he can heal us, he can feed us, we don't need the Romans. We don't need any governing authority over us This man is a man who loves us and cares for us, doesn't charge us for anything, and can feed with just a little. We don't need any authority to take care of us. We can forever be with Him. To that point in their history, there had been at least a millennium where they've been under authority and not under self-rule. They had not been anywhere under their own autonomy in years, decades, and centuries. And now they're looking at a chance to break free from the tyranny of the Roman government. This man can heal us and feed us what more do we need? And so in the groups, they start saying, let's overthrow Rome in our spots and let's make this man king. That's what they said. Let's make him king. It even says in verse 15 that they want to come and take him by force to be the king. To force Jesus to be their king. Some of us won't even do it by obligation or choice. They want to do it by force. That's how much they wanted him over them. 
But we, when we make Jesus King, often do it by wrong pretense. Because He can help us. Because He can heal us. Because of this, because of that. Rather than being, He's the Son of God who redeems us out of love. Hmm. Think about this. And, and this, this is kind of a sidebar, but this really struck me. When it said they wanted to take him by force to be king, I thought about this and I said, you know, in our lives, we've never done anything where people had to use force on us in our faith. Do you recognize that? When you start doing great things for God, people can use force on you. There's a believer from, I believe it's Africa, who came to our country. And he said, you know, the greatest thing to know is that you love Jesus so much that people want to make you stop showing them. That people get you, their, you get their attention so much that they get upset with you. And if you haven't been to jail for Jesus, then you haven't risked anything yet. Oh, sure, we've risked embarrassment, people saying, you know, what's wrong, or ostracizing, etc. But what about us has ever made us even worthy of jail? Or persecution. Instead, we wonder if we're going to offend people, and we never get people to use force against us to stop, because we stop before we even start for fear. You ever think about that? Nowhere in my life have I ever been come close to threatened with any persecution or risk of police authority or anything like that saying you must cease and desist. Never. Because of my love for Jesus. At some point in my life, and this is what he said, at some point in your life, if you have not gone to jail for loving Jesus and doing things, you haven't risked very much or else you haven't put it out there very far. And the man said, the greater thing is to die. And I said, well, if I die, I can't tell. He says, but listen, the greater thing is because in jail you can't do much. But if you die, you're with Jesus forever. So you win. You can be with Him forever anyway, so why not do something that risks your life for Jesus? But don't do it out of stupidity. Do it for Christ. Do it serving and loving and putting Him out there in ways that are gracious and kind and loving, not in ways that are domineering, browbeating, and cruel. And people will love you for it because you'll have loved them into heaven, into the kingdom. There are four things I want to share with you. Four things, four steps, if you will, about reality, because John is about the reality of Jesus. And I saw four things that happened in this story that I want you to understand. The reality, first of all, on how you begin to change the world around you. <clears throat> four simple things. In order, Jesus says them. The first one is in verse 5. It says, Jesus lifted up His eyes. <clears throat> He's on a mountain, okay? <laughs> He's on a mountain. And if he lifts up his eyes and he's on a mountain, he's going to be looking up toward the sky, right? You understand that? And if people are coming up to him 
and he lifts up his eyes, he's not looking at the people. So it says, he lifts up his eyes, and then he sees a great multitude coming toward him. Now maybe he was deep in prayer. But either way, he sees the multitude that's coming toward him. He sees a need. So the first thing that you have to know if you want to change the world in Jesus Christ is to know the situation. That's the first thing. To know what the need is God is trying to meet. You can meet all sorts of needs, but what one is God showing you to meet? That's why I said earlier in the message, why was it their job to feed them this time? Because this was the time God showed him when he lifted his eyes, feed them. And he showed them what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do ahead of time because the Father showed him. So that's what he, the first step is. To know the situation, know that there's a need and that God has called you to that. Because He won't call you to every need, but He'll call you to certain ones. Second thing that happens that you need to do is to assume the situation from your perspective. You have to line it out and understand what you know about it. What you know about the need, about the problem, about your resources, about your ability, and assume it from your perspective. This is what Philip and uh, Andrew did when they said, we don't have enough food, we don't have enough resources, but you have to assume it from your perspective first. Why? Because if you don't know your destitution, you can never know God's power through you. God wants you to know what you have available is not enough. So assume it, assess it, if you will, from your perspective in all ways possible and all the things you think you can do. Second, uh, excuse me, third, gather help from others. Check your resources. Make connections. Network. Figure it out. And then once you've done that and you get your five fish and your two, excuse me, I keep saying that backward, five pieces of bread and, and two fish and realize it's not enough and you have exhausted all resources and God's still saying meet this need, that's the third thing. As you know, others' resources also aren't enough. That's the third thing. And then here's the fourth step and this is the hard one. Do what, God, do what God said to do anyway, regardless of what you see is your reality. Because if He calls you to do it, He will get it done through you. And you will see resources pop up you have no idea exist. That you didn't even know were coming. I've seen it time and time again. When we were in situations where God said do something, and we said we're, we're doing it, but we're running out, and all of a sudden... Out of nowhere, more came. And at times when we thought we wouldn't have enough help, more help came. We didn't think people were coming. More people came. God has resources we don't know about. And so we need to know our own resources. Second, after we know the need that God's calling us to, what we think is available so we can see God did it. That we went ahead knowing that we don't have it, I don't have it, and nobody I know has it. But God said do it, and He did it. That 
is how you get remaining fragments and you seek and save the lost with Jesus. Is you do it regardless because God said, and His reality is bigger than the one you just researched. I think most of us will realize when we're trying to do something ministry-wise, what we're trying to do, what we think we can apply to it, and how many people might help us, and we kind of do that. But we usually stop there because we don't think it's enough. We don't think that we can do anything bigger than what we have. Do you understand what we're doing, don't you? We're trying to redeem bread with what we have rather than realize we already have the bread. Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the resource. We don't have to have the resource. Jesus is the resource. And what He wants done and calls us to, He will enable to be done because that's what He wants done. It was majestically important that Philip knew he couldn't do it. That Andrew knew that there was just seven pieces of food. And they couldn't do it. They had to know that for God to get the glory. For them to see that it wasn't about what we can do. It's about what God can do when we give ourselves to His call. When that happens, you will see more than enough from God. It's amazing to me how we're always concerned about food and yet we still got to take some home with us after everybody else is fed. Think about that. Why is that? Is it because God's trying to say, don't worry, I'm the resource? Or are we saying, but, but this is all I have? Where are you going to look? Again, the same test Philip had comes to us. How are you going to do what I asked you to do? Where are you going to redeem it? Where's the resource? What are you trusting? And that is the question he's asking. Who do you trust and what do you trust when there's a need to be met? Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word today. You really, really didn't want to be the kind of king they wanted you to be. You wanted to be the kind of king that you were called to be. The king who was over all. The king of kings, the lord of lords. Not just someone who could feed people and heal people temporarily. And so, Heavenly Father, I ask today that as we have heard your word, that we will be challenged to let go of the lack mentality that we have and say, God, what is the need you're trying to meet? God, I'm not asking you, what can I do to meet that need? Rather, what is the need you want met? And God, use me however you need to to be the resource you need to get your work done because if you start it through me, it will go. Heavenly Father, you've made us fruitful as a church in the food pantry and in so many ways that we know you can. I know you can. And I'm asking you to give us the courage once again to risk it, to trust that what you're asking us to do again is truly something you will resource. 
Not through what we have, but, but through what you provide in yourself. For with you, Heavenly Father, is all the world and all its possessions belong to you. And you're more than willing to distribute to those who love you and use it for your purposes. May we never forget that. Amen. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life I get this, what I call a small mentality. Like, who am I against so many? What am I against all the wickedness in the world? And the Lord never said to me, your job is to redeem the world. The Lord said to me, my job is to be faithful with what I have. Not to bury it in the sand, but to bring it forth to Him and present it out of a pure heart. Let me tell you something. This is a realization I had this morning after I got the message together. And God put this on my heart. And I think maybe someone today needs to hear this. If you're justifying that you can't do something for Jesus, you're actually justifying sin. If you say, well, there's a behavior you don't want to let go of, that God knows and you know, that doesn't glorify Him, and you don't want to let go of it, you're justifying sin in your life. And, And if God calls us to something and we refuse to do that, we are again justifying a sinful response to God's call. If we don't want to worship Him and love Him like He asks or love others as His Word says, we're justifying sin in our heart. And I don't want us to do that. When God showed me that, I came forward and said, God, if there's any sin I'm justifying, show me and, and let me repent of that right now. And maybe you need to do that too. But I saw some things, He just pulled them right to me and He showed me some things that I was harboring in my heart. And so I'm asking, if there's anything that you're harboring or resenting, or resisting God, or looking for other sources in your life than Jesus, then this would be the time to confess those and let them go so you can do great things for His kingdom without any question that God wants to use you. And you're not blocking it. Yes? I got something to say.